Alright, I'm going to be doing tonight's reading. This is from Acts 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise, and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Condens, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning to his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, Here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caresia. Good evening. We're officially getting started now. So for, you know, the last few weeks, we had Bruce in the morning and Miguel at night, really learned educated guys. And then last week, we had Brett from South Africa with the awesome accent and the humor. And this week, it's me. So (laughs) this story, it's an interesting story. And, you know, who doesn't really like a eunuch story? I mean, it starts off pretty good right there because we get a basis of, like, and I see some of you guys crossing your legs already. So... There's an interesting distinction to be made with Jesus pre-resurrection and post-resurrection, right? And so there's all these great road trip stories in the Bible. And pre-resurrection, it's Jesus who is the guy on the road trips. And so if you want to experience Jesus, you actually have to experience him in flesh where he is at that time because, you know, he's here amongst us at the time as a human. And so after the resurrection, after he rises, we experience him in different ways through different people. And so, and a lot of these journeys that we get in the New Testament are all about people experiencing that. And that's Philip here going out to meet the eunuch in this story. So one of the things I really love about the Bible is that there's a lot of road trips. And it's just appealing because in it, it just seems like they're traveling somewhere. But so much happens in this like little compartmental space of time and travel. And it's like, I'm somebody who loves a road trip. I grew up loving road trips. Uh, I was raised as a road trip kid. And so my parents would send me to my grandparents down in Houston every summer. And my grandfather had a hobby of rebuilding muscle cars and things like that. And so when one would be done, we'd go for a drive. But one morning he wakes me up 
like at 4.30 in the morning. I don't know, I'm eight or nine. And he says, come on, son, get up. We're going on a trip. And so we get in a car. I don't even know where we're going. And about three hours in, I'm like, where are we headed? And he was like, oh, we're going to Lubbock. And, you know, Lubbock is like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away from Houston. And it is a long drive. But I love spending time with my grandfather. And we didn't really talk that much. But it was just this time with this open expanse. And you could take in what was around you. And so it turns out, you know, 10, 12 hours later, we get to Lubbock. And the whole reason he wanted to go there was to see a cousin of his who also rebuilt muscle cars. And he wanted to show this car off to him. And so we stay there for like an hour, hour and a half. They make us a fried chicken dinner. And then my grandfather and I get in the car and we turn around and drive the 12 hours back home. So it's in my blood, a good road trip. I love road trips so much that almost nobody here probably knows this, but I used to be a big rig driver. For four summers in the Central Valley, up and down that valley, I would haul tomatoes. You know, one of those guys where when he swerves the truck, the tomatoes fly off and are all over the road. That was me. And then I liked that so much, I signed up for a year as a long-haul trucker across the country back and forth. And that was a pretty good experience until some of my friends and family thought maybe I should make better use of some of my education and my skill set. But, I mean, it was a great time. Like, you know, I'd loved on the road with Jack Kerouac, and so it was kind of my on-the-road experience. Part of what was unique about that is that I didn't look like your regular trucker. At that time, and picture this, I had hair down to here, you know, and uh, I would wear uh, shorts, but not just any shorts, Daisy Duke shorts, and so I'd have these Australian boots on, and I'd wear these colorful flowered shirts, and I didn't really think about the impact I was having on other people, and so like six months later, one of the older truckers I would run into occasionally at a diner or a, a truck stop said, you know, son what people are saying about you. And I'm like, no, I don't. He's like, well, they think you're gay. I mean, take a good look at you, you know? And so I'm like, what? I mean, what's up? He's like, what's up with your outfit? Truckers don't dress that way. So anyway, that was an interesting lesson that I learned from somebody I met on the road, and he sort of counseled and guided me into maybe a better choice at that point in time. And so here in Acts, in Acts 8, 26 through 40, we have a unique person, a eunuch, Right? He's an outcast in a lot of ways in the Jewish world. He doesn't look like anybody in Jerusalem, really. He's coming from several hundred miles from the south. He's coming up from Africa. He's in a chariot. Philip, the evangelist who has been commissioned by the actual apostles, Stephen and Philip and five others, to go out and preach the word of God. This is not the Philip the apostle, but it's a different Philip that's mentioned a couple times in the New Testament. But he has the gift to share the good news. Because that's what the gospel is, the good news. And a literal translation of an evangelist is sharing the good news. And so this is Philip, and this is his job. And he's up in Samaria, and he's preaching to the Samaritans up there and sharing God's word with them and the good news with them. And he's having converts, and he's having success. And Samaria is a place that is a very hostile location for a Jew to go to. So the Jews hate the Samaritans. The Samaritans hate the Jews. The Jews view the Samaritans as a people who are a type of half-breed. They're Jewish by birth, but they've corrupted the religion, so they consider them the worst kind of Gentile. And so Jews have a lot of uh, hatred for them. And it's a two-way street because the Samaritans feel like they've been had their backs turned upon them from uh, their Jewish brothers, you know, who come from the same religion. So there's this incredible hostility going on there. And so this is where Philip is called to go. And he's there and he's converting some people. And then all of a sudden, God says, you know, why don't you head down to the desert somewhere in Gaza? And so, you know, this is like a 60, 70, 80 mile trek. And he doesn't have a chariot like the Ethiopian. What he has are, you know, sandals and stuff. And it's it's like a deserted wilderness road. So it's going to be a struggle for him to get there. And this is how the eunuch and Philip are going to get to 
engage with each other is on this path. But what's interesting about some of these road stories is right after this is Paul's journey in chapter 9 to Damascus to persecute Jews, right? And so that's the famous story in this first part of Acts. And a lot of times we just overlook this part, but it's an awesome little passage and it's a great story. And it's really something about like when Chris was saying during worship at the beginning is God meets us where we are, wherever we are today or wherever we are in life. And so this is God meeting the eunuch where he is in his spiritual journey at this point. And so, so much of the book of Acts is about Paul and his journey, but today's journey is about Philip, who's been called to do something, and about the eunuch, who's been called also, and what their meeting is uh, meant. So it's the eighth chapter of Acts. The Spirit interrupts what Philip is up to, and... Philip just obediently obeys. He doesn't question anybody, and so he does not know what the plan is going down to Gaza. And so he's going to find out along the way that he's going to encounter somebody on this journey, and that this person was from a different country, a different ethnic group, a different social status, a very different job description, and, you know, a very different sort of physical description, too. And so none of these things prevented Philip from approaching the eunuch and building a bridge on this road to God. And so a good lesson in this is that Philip has no pre-based prejudices in here, right? He just sees somebody who's in a, in a chariot who's reading the scriptures, who picked up a, a scroll of Isaiah and is reading it out loud. And just as a historical side note, back in antiquity and in that era of history, people read out loud. And so it might not seem like that's what they did, but they would read out loud. You know, we read quietly. It was considered ridiculous to read silently. And so the great theologian and saint Augustine would ridicule Jerome, they were peers, because Jerome, another great theologian and saint, would read quietly while everybody else read aloud. And so this is how Philip knows the guy's reading something, because he's sees that he's reading out loud. And so the guy's in a chariot, and Philip has to run alongside of him to catch up. And so just like today, and a chariot is a super cool car, like it's a high-end SUV, let's say. And here's the guy coming up on side on a skateboard or a bicycle trying to catch up. And, you know, the irony in a lot of all of this is I love road trips, I love to drive, but at the moment I don't have a car. So this is a great story because this guy's been called, he doesn't have a car, the eunuch does have a car, and there's social status going both ways, right? Somebody with a chariot is wealthy. Somebody with a chariot has high social status. And so what he does is he's like, hey, dude, what does this mean? What am I reading here, and what does it mean? And can you, like, shed some light on some of this to me? And so this eunuch had just been to Jerusalem. And he's not just any eunuch, right? Because way upon time, like hundreds and hundreds of years before that, Queen of Sheba went up to Jerusalem, met Solomon, and they uh, had a child together. But with that, some of the knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures went back to Ethiopia, down into Africa. And so this eunuch has some awareness of this, and he's just really dying to get up to Jerusalem and worship at the temple. But because he is not a born Jew, he's not allowed to worship at the temple. So they call them a proselyte at the gate, meaning that they can only stand outside the temple, they can hear what the teacher is saying that day, but they're not allowed to go inside and worship with anybody. So he's been there, he's been rejected, he's turned around, he's left, but in that process he buys a scroll, and he has it, and he's just really curious about what's going on, and so this is where Philip is coming in. 
Because at that point, Judaism with the Pharisees and all of that, it's a very formal religion. It's not open. It's not an open community. It's not what Jesus has for us as a church like this where anybody can walk through the door. They don't have to stand out there like John right now looking in. I mean, I would invite John in, but he's ushering. But occasionally he peeks in and it's kind of cute. And so, But that would be like the proselyte, right? He would just be looking in. He's like, man, I really want to be part of that, but I can't. They won't let me in. And so... Jesus came to do away with all of that. And in his travels, let's say he spent time in Samaria. He met the woman at the well, and he crossed all sorts of social taboos at that point to meet with that woman. A religious leader would not go up and hang out with a woman at a well. You know, those are strict rules that wouldn't be broken. She was a woman of some sort of ill repute in her love life. And so that would be another thing where you would not engage in that sort of thing. Plus, more than anything, she's a Samaritan, right? Why would you go talk to a Samaritan? That's really crossing all of the racial and social boundaries there are right there. And so Jesus has already laid out the blueprint for what he wants the church to be, this open community where all are welcome and all may enter. And the eunuch has been rejected in Jerusalem. And this is where we are now, right, in the story. And the eunuch asks, who is this prophet you're talking about? And Philip responds by proclaiming the good news, right, literally gospel, to this foreigner who has never heard about the Christ. And, you know, when we think about it, there are no New Testament scriptures yet. So all anybody has are the Hebrew scriptures still. And so people are still, in oral fashion, telling the story of Jesus. And so this is where Philip comes in, because he's been trained by the disciples and then commissioned to go out, because he understands the story of Jesus and the Old Testament scriptures. So now in Isaiah, he can explain that this is a foretelling of the coming of Jesus Christ. And so this eunuch is really excited about that, and he wants to hear more about it. And so much so that he just kind of gladly accepts the notion that Jesus is God, and that's what's being prophesied here, and that he wants to be part of that, right? In this discussion about receiving the grace of God, having forgiveness of sins, and uh, becoming a disciple of Christ clearly must have involved a discussion about baptism, because in here, after all of this, the eunuch asks... What's preventing him from being baptized? Now, at our church here, we love baptism, right? And um, we share with all Christian churches two of the sacraments. Other churches have more. It's communion, and we're going to partake in communion later tonight. We do that every week. But we also partake in baptism. And those are the two sacraments we consider uh, sacred. And, you know, every year we go to Lake Temescal with our barbecue and baptism time, and we have baptism. This year it was really sweet because we joined in with the church the way they came with us and joined in. We had a great time with them. They brought people to be baptized. We brought people to be baptized. It was a really sweet time in the water with everybody. It was joyful. It was a celebration. And that's what baptism is really about, is somebody making their public proclamation of their faith to the community of believers around them. And that that community, their friends and their spiritual companions are there to celebrate and be joyful in it and to be there to greet them when they come out and welcome them into this family of God. And so i just give a little shout-out for baptism more. We're going to have another one on October 5th. And we're, this year we're going to have a second barbecue because the first one went so well. And Pastor Bernard and his church is going to join in. And added enticement, Brian Fuentes and I are going to bring a smoker and really do some serious, serious barbecuing this time. If you are interested in being baptized, if you're in that place in your life where you want to be like this eunuch who says, what prevents me from being baptized because I believe what you're telling me, come talk to me because we'll be having a couple of baptism classes this and that. September. And really, as a church family, we'd love to come alongside of you and be part of that journey and celebrate with you.
So in verse 36, the eunuch wants to know what prevents him from being baptized. In 37, and Philip responds that the only thing preventing baptism is the eunuch believing with all his heart. Then the eunuch responds that he does believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The chariot is ordered to stop. They both went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatches Philip away, and the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. So, I mean, he went on rejoicing so much that church history tells us 21 centuries later in Ethiopia and in that region of Africa, they trace the lineage of Christianity to this eunuch coming back and sharing the gospel with them. And what's beautiful about this chance encounter on the road that day is Philip obediently obeys God. The eunuch obediently is obeying the spirit by asking questions. And because of that, that somebody didn't question why they were called to go there and resist it, Africa was opened up to Christianity. And so this eunuch not only is, so there's some converts in Samaria, but they're half Jewish. This eunuch is not Jewish at all. He can't be. That's why he's a proselyte, because he's not genetically Jewish. So this is our first Gentile convert in the New Testament. And that's what's amazing about this story to me. And it's sort of just buried in Acts here, and we don't really think about it. You know, everybody wants to say, oh, the church should be inclusive, and we are inclusive, not to everything, but, I mean, we're inclusive to everybody. And this is Jesus in the very first parts of the New Testament, in the Acts of the Apostles, when people are commissioned to go to Judea and to Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. This is how it starts, is right here. So this Ethiopian goes to the ends of the earth. Ethiopia, that southern part of Egypt there, what is Sudan now, which was called Nubia back then, was considered by historians the ends of the earth. There could be nothing further than that. And this is where now this eunuch is going. And so it's sort of amazing when we are open to God and what he is calling us to do, and we can discern that we are called to do something. Like Sylvia. Sylvia is leaving sort of a comfortable situation for her in a lot of ways, right? This cocoon that she's been in, she's done a great job. She's stepping outside of that, and she's going on to take on this amazing new challenge and plant a ministry, essentially, in a place that doesn't necessarily want her to plant that ministry. And so I would really urge all of us to, like, take a look in our heart and see how we can support her, you know, whether it's financially or in prayer, but to connect with her, because she is one of our supported missionaries here at Regen, and, and we just love the work she does. And we don't want it just to be that what you put in a tithe box goes to her a little bit, which is great, but we want her to feel part of a bigger family, that we're all with her and that she has support materially and emotionally and spiritually with us. And so when Stephen gets called out and Philip witnesses Stephen being stoned to death in Jerusalem, so he's one of the witnesses of that, it doesn't deter him from going off to Samaria or to wherever to share the gospel. It emboldens him. It empowers him to do that. And so in the face of persecution, these guys do amazing things. And so as Sylvia has been called on a journey... Or last week when we prayed for Bianca and and sent her off on her journey down to Palmdale to work with, you know, underprivileged youth or people who need an advocate, foster kids, people who have found themselves in a place where nobody is there to support them. But they're responding to a call from God to go on a journey where they're leading him. And so 
I'd like us in this next week or two to start looking into our hearts and see maybe where we think we're being called and what kind of obstacles we're putting up in front of ourselves not to follow that journey, uh, making excuses or like I'm really busy with work and we all are. I understand that. Or, you know, this won't be a receptive place for this. But God gives us all authority in our lives to have a sphere of influence where we have authority to act with the Spirit. And as we exercise that authority in a godly way, that sphere of influence grows. And as we continue to do that, it grows more. And so here is Philip, who is faithful to the calling. He goes to Samaria, and he preaches the gospel there. He does it so successfully that God grants him the authority to have a larger sphere of influence. And so this is where Philip goes on a journey down a road. By the way, it's a dangerous road. Gaza is a pagan area at that time, and they hate Jews. And so it's not a safe place for a traveler to be going through. It's a true wilderness, and it's a very hostile place. And somebody like Philip, they're not really going to like a whole lot. So when you're called, how are you going to respond? And like I said, what obstacles are you going to put in the way? And what obstacles are we willing to overcome to go begin this journey? You know, it might be just going and sitting with somebody here that you don't know at all. You know, let's say you're a single person and you see an older person and you've never talked to them and just go over and talk to them. You know, it might be a couple with kids willing to reach out to a single person and say, hey, what's up? You know, that we're not all isolated here together. We're not divided that way, that we're all one community. Or it could be that on Sunday morning you're called to go over to Cross Streets, the homeless ministry, and get way out of your comfort zone and deal with people dealing with all sorts of problems that you can't even imagine about because of their addictions, you know, and what they're trying to overcome, and they really need to be loved on. It could be that. It it could be anything, you know. But uh, where are you willing to step beyond your comfort zone to go love on somebody who needs to be loved the way you were loved on by somebody in your church community? And just as this eunuch left this amazing legacy in Africa, in Ethiopia, and over in Sudan, and uh, into that region, and in southern Egypt, and what's interesting, you know, Sudan's gone through this uh, long civil war process, and they're sort of peace, and they split up into two countries, but a lot of that has been the Christians in both sides of that country have been terribly persecuted. And so at one point in time, northern Sudan was a predominantly Christian country, and now it's only about 15% Christian. Southern Sudan is still about 50-50, but there's all sorts of tension between all of that. And so we just look at what we go through here and the challenges of learning how to express a faith in a workplace that might be hostile to it. And then all we have to do is look at in Africa, right there in these countries where the eunuch originally took back the word of the gospel, what they're really going through and how they're being persecuted and how it's a life and death situation every day if they proclaim their faith. I mean, those are things we don't even have to dream about at this point in time, you know. So it's really an encouraging story if you look at it that way. They love their faith so much that they're willing to die for it. And so, basically, how are we going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, right? How are each one of us going to be individually called to do that? Because we're all part of the body, just like there's different gifts we all have, and that's how we come together, and that's how we become the hands and feet of Jesus. How are we going to do that together, individually, as a church? How do we support one another as friends in that journey? How do we come alongside and pray for somebody? And that's what Sylvia's doing, and us as a church body, her spiritual family, we're going to come alongside of her and support her in that so she can be the hands and feet of Jesus at the university down there.
The church is a funny place, right? So the eunuch goes to this church, the temple, and he's just rejected outright. They really don't want him in there. And that's what a lot of people feel like the first time they come through church doors. It's a foreign land in here. You know, it's not like if somebody's got the courage to go through those doors, they're really seeking something. But are we so tied up in our formality and our rituals and all of that that we turn away from those who aren't like us? Uh, And, I mean, it's really like a foreign land because I haven't been a Christian that long, maybe seven years. And so for me to go into a church was a a pretty difficult proposition. And ultimately, like I shared in my testimony a few months back, the only reason I ended up going into a church was every Sunday morning I saw these pretty girls walking in. And so one day it was like the Pied Piper, like, just drew me right into that church. Like, I never met any girls there, but it was the start of my spiritual journey. So, But we don't want a church where people feel like, they're scared to go into. And so we want this to be a safe haven. We want this to be a safe place. No matter who we are, no matter what we look like, no matter what our background is, no matter what our social status is. And so it really is like a foreign place, right? So when I went in there, I didn't know what to expect. But a lot of times church isn't like a cool foreign place, like going to World Cup in Brazil next year or going up and climbing Machu Picchu in Peru or something awesome like that. It's like going to Fresno or, you know, to Stockton and like, okay, Really? This is going to be church? Sorry, Math, I had to do it. <laughs> so a church should not be a place for closed-minded people, for bigots, for racists, for hatred. You know, that's just a bad place for Christians to be. It's a bad place for churches to be. And that's what uh, Brett spoke about last week when he was talking about the Westboro Baptist Church. So I have some gay friends, and they know nothing about church, really, right? Except I can bring up to them, hey, but you know about the Westboro Baptist Church? And they're like, oh, yeah, I know all about that place. That's what people think about church a lot of times, right? So we want to be a beacon of hope and light and love and compassion. We want to love on people. We don't want to hate on people. And I think we're pretty good at that here, actually. And it makes me happy to be part of a church like that. So, like, in our lives, I'm just going to call this, like, who's going to be the Ethiopian in our lives? What boundary are you going to cross? Think about who in your life is somebody you have issues with that you can't relate to, but you don't know. I mean, think about if it's you or if it's them, right? Because God fills us with his spirit. He gives us the gift of forgiveness. And not just to forgive others, but maybe to ask God for forgiving us so then we can cross these uh, uh, barriers and these boundaries. And the original disciples burned with the desire to do this, and they ultimately paid the price. Uh, They all saw him, including Doubting Thomas, right? And that's why Jesus let him go up there and put his hand in there, because he knew he needed Doubting Thomas on board to spread the gospel to those who don't believe. And he found it to be a tangible and physical proof. All these guys, they went out to tell what they saw, and one by one, because of what they said and shared, they were hunted down and murdered, right? And so... We already heard about Stephen, you know, and what happened with Paul in Rome, ultimately. But Matthew, ironically, of all things, or coincidentally, he was uh, killed by the sword when he was in Ethiopia sharing the word. Uh, Mark was dragged through the streets of Alexandria, Egypt. John was put in a vat of boiling oil, you know, and then he lived. So then they banished him to Patmos, and then God did this amazing thing with him with the book of Revelation. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. The other James was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple still alive, praying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then they came and beat him to death with a club. Bartholomew was filleted alive. Andrew was bound to a cross where he preached to his persecutors till his death. 
And Doubting Thomas was run through with a lance in India while he was preaching the word there. So, I mean, it's pretty amazing, right, what these guys did. A lot of people want to claim that people in a religion, they started or they're part of it because they want to get rich and famous. But, I mean, all these guys, they ended up homeless, abused, and murdered. And every one of them had an opportunity to say the story wasn't true, to recant what they believed, right? Why die for a lie? But the truth is a beautiful story of Jesus they were all willing to die for because the resurrection was true. And they had the obligation to go share that story with people. And so they all died for Jesus, and yet some of us refused to live for him. So, you know, this week, think about that a little bit and just take some time in reflection. And, and as we move into communion tonight, pray about where you are in your life and what obstacles you put up in your life and what barriers, not just to God, but with people in terms of sharing what your faith means a little bit, you know? And it doesn't mean you have to beat them over the head, but, you know, opportunities always arise. It's like when people ask, why do you believe what you believe, you know? And so maybe develop a story that is encouraging to them to hear, you know? Not that you just open the Bible and read Scripture to them, but like how God has truly impacted your life in a meaningful way that's transformed us from having a self-identity that's based on the world and all the messed up stuff that's happened to us in our lives that wreck our self-esteem, that wreck our relationships, that wreck our jobs or whatever's going on that we don't feel there's any hope. In Christ, it's a whole new identity. And it's not a better version of who we were. It's a whole different identity, right? You leave that behind because you can't really improve that. But in this, because we're made in the image of God, that means we have God within us. And God has so much that he wants us to experience once we claim that identity, that he can use us in just amazing, miraculous ways. Just as a little logistical thing, we have moved the communion elements all down toward the front, and we're going to try this out. And so it's not just so easy for you to sit there and pick one up, and you actually have to earn it, you know. So, (laughs) no, but I mean, it's a time where we come to God, and we commune with God, and... We seek God, what's in our lives, and we repent what's been going on in our lives so that we can come to the table with a clean heart and a clean conscience, and God can really work miracles in us. And so as we move into this time of our worship, let's pray. Father God, uh, we just thank you for a place, a house like this, we can come and worship, that you've granted us uh, just great provision that we can be here and the people who come and they just want to learn about you and that we have open hearts to uh, let your spirit work wonders in us, Lord. And so I just want to pray for this time of communion, that it is one of reflection and one of prayerful introspection and one of singing uh, just joyous songs to you, Lord, that Chris is going to lead us in. And so we uh, lift this time up to you and we ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.